0: to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Alex shares his winding path from a non-target university to breaking into a top bulge bracket group at BAML in New York. Learn what made him a top-ranked analyst and how he ended up at Premiera, a top private equity fund, as their first pre-MBA associate, as well as his success and failures once he hopped off the traditional path. Enjoy. <laughs> All right, Al- Alex, welcome to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thanks for having me. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary bio.
1: Yeah, so I've had an um, eventful career. Uh, I grew up in the, uh, the suburbs of Chicago, went to the University of Illinois, non-target school, was initially pre-med and you know, got the finance bug and started my career uh, pretty traditional. Uh, did investment banking at the perfect time in the global financial crisis. Ended up getting a gig in large cap private equity, and then since then it's been largely non traditional. You know, I joined was the first employee of a startup uh, that was successful. Ended up selling for a hundred million. Uh, ran my own hedge fund for a number of years, and and now today, am at an esoteric asset firm. You know, trading in you know, long dated receivables, you know, so it's been a, a long journey, um, but um, it's been fun.
0: Sounds interesting. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun one. Uh, so let's let's go back to University of Illinois. Um, why did you end up there? Was it like, pre? was it good for pre, pre-med or it's like, you know, out of high school, you're we like, you oh, Chicago, forget that. What was going on there?
1: Yeah, I, I honestly, it was primarily just to save my parents money. You know, mm-hmm. So I have a twin. And I have an older brother. Within a year, so within two years, my parents were putting three kids through college. Yeah. And so we tried to be as helpful as possible. You know, so I got into a number of schools, but you know, given that I was pre med, I was like, hey, it doesn't really matter. My first school, um, try to help out your parents stay in the state, and also I did uh, ROTC. You know, so I did ROTC. You know, for a little bit, you know, to help pay for tuition. Mm -hmm. and uh, a number of other things, which I can kind of get into. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Um, But yeah, that was initially kind of University of Illinois, you know, pre-med. What was the
0: tuition, like in state, like 10, 15, something like that? Yeah, you know, somewhere at that range, you know. Um,
1: You know, but within like six to nine months, you know, I I went to a few labs. I'm like, this is definitely not for me. And Given all the schooling that you need to kind of get into, you know, med school and all that stuff, you know, very quickly, um, you know, hit the entrepreneurial bug. You know, finance and accounting. My parents, aunts, uncles, they all run their own businesses. You know, so you know, funny enough, let, let's just go into business. You like know, what? What types, of, what types of businesses are they in? Yeah, so they ran a construction business, uh, real estates, uh, also managed and owned, you know, kind of motels and hotels, you know, oh, cool. okay. cash flowing, you know, businesses. And, yeah. you know, it, it was, it was a blessing because it was like basically the American dream. You know, they immigrated to the States in the early eighties, um, and, you know, built, you know, a great, you know, a great lifestyle, great you know, business. We're able to support three kids and, mm-hmm. you know, very thankful for that. Um, you know, funny enough, you know, so my freshman freshman year of college, I did a internship called College Works Painting. I don't know if you've ever come across it. No. Um, basically, during the school, you're running oh, uh, you're pa- a yeah, college painting business.
0: Yes, I have heard of this. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you were like so, one of the top ones in the country or something? Or you got like 50 people to work for you? Exactly. I
1: was number one in the
0: country. No, you weren't. <laughs>
1: that was a total guess. <laughs> funny enough, I, I think.
0: Did they tell us yeah. everybody that they're all number one in the country? No. So have, <laughs> how many people did you have working for you? Have, how Seriously,
1: I probably had at some point probably twenty or thirty people working for me. But I was fortunate in the sense of you know where I grew up uh, is kind of Wilmette, Skokie area, the north northern suburbs of Chicago, where it's kind of wealthier uh, just in general. So me selling you know paint jobs, exterior paint jobs. As like a kind of a hustler college kid, you know it was easier than you know maybe another neighborhood that wasn't as um you know yeah prominent but so my freshman year i I basically during the spring and summer, I drove three hours back to back home every single weekend to kind of cold call you know hit the door you know hit the hit the doors on, you know selling these paint jobs, and you know funny enough, yeah. You know, I was number one in the country. You know, obviously first in the state, and I got that district manager, uh,
0: manager of the year award uh, yeah. for that year. You know, but uh, so how much did you bring in, like profit to yourself? So how much did you guys sell, and then how much did you bring in? How much did that come back to you?
1: So I, I think I did one hundred five, hundred ten thousand, mm-hmm. and I took home I think
0: thirty thousand.
1: That's amazing. Yes. For, and so that
0: helped. How many, how many months of work?
1: Well, it started probably. Uh, the winter season and until uh, the end of the summer, I worked until the last day before going back to school. So
0: nineish It was a year, eight, yeah.
1: yeah. It, it, it was a decent bit. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, making thirty thousand dollars, you you have no sense of money. Yeah. You're, you're kind of you know just doing this thing. Um. You know, people just love college kids painting. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I just kind of wild to think of you know kind of back in the day.
0: So you did that. You're, this is like your freshman to sophomore year.
1: My freshman year, so I got promoted, and then now I was a manager of managers Uh-oh. the next year. And I, I think I ended up doing, you know, I hired eight of my role for the bef- the year before. And I think I did 340,000 Wow, out of that total, total. So my mm-hmm. managers did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. 400000
0: and so you. Um, this was what your your summer gig for freshman and sophomore year.
1: And it's my during, summer during gig. all this?
0: Now that now the world is melting, right? Financial crisis. People are not ordering as many paint paint jobs.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. So, 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 well. I started my career at the start of the
0: financial crisis. Oh, sorry. So yeah. So you was, were. This was this was in the booming times. Everyone's like, yeah. You how much do you want for a paint paint
1: jobs, College kids, you know, might as well. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. So yeah, things are great.
1: Uh, I did that. So I did that for the painting stuff for two years. My junior year, I decided, hey, wanted to kind of get into finance. At this point, I was fully majoring, double majoring in finance and accounting. Mm-hmm. You know, so wanted to do you know something more related. Uh, yeah. I did an internship. I think at JP Morgan, not banking, but more kind of I think transaction or operations. You know, some sort of mix,
0: like a middle office um, gig or something like yeah. that. How did you even get yeah. that through on campus recruiting or what? traditional kind
1: of on-campus recruiting, I, I think just having the story of running, you know, painting is yeah. just unique enough where I, I got a decent amount of interviews mm-hmm. um, and then just wanted to kind of he's pick. A hustler, you know, he's a hustler. He's a
0: hustler. He's a hustler. Yeah, get him.
1: Yep. He's he's a hustler. Yeah, I mean, it's just unique. Um, he drove home every weekend, you know, three hours just to, you know, sell paint jobs. You know, so that was unique enough where it got me in the door. You know, yeah. I think from there, you just have to refine your messaging. You have to do your homework, and really resonates, and develop rapport with who you're interviewing with. Um, and at, at that point, I had an idea of kind of what I wanted to do. Like, you know, I had upperclassmen that were getting into investment banking, and I didn't know what it was, but it was the hardest thing to get into. So you're reading vault guides and printing reviews and all these different things, but. know i was trying to you know stepping stone um, maybe i'll start the middle office um so did that junior year and then because i did two majors i took four and a half you know so i was able to get another internship i guess my quasi senior year um at b of a merrill uh in bank uh, I guess at this point b of a yeah (laughs) just b of a and uh was lucky enough You know, to network myself in, you know, network with a a bunch of alumni and upperclassmen, you know, to help kind of show me the ropes of how to interview at investment banks or this is what they're looking for. You know, the quasi stock answers or this is what you need to do information um, sessions and stuff like that. And um, was lucky enough to get an internship at B of A uh, in their Chicago office you know, for, I think, TNT.
0: And that was that was banking. That was full on banking internship. Front office. That was full on, you know, banking. Tell me internship. about that summer. Was it nuts? Was it hard? This is like your, this is after your senior year, basically. This is like you're, you are you had half a year because you were doing two majors, right? So, which was yeah. a, kind of a blessing because you got that second crack at recruiting.
1: I had the second crack, and it, yeah. it was a tale of two different summers. Yeah. You know, so this is 2007, when the first uh, half of the summer was deals were going left and right i was on three or four deals i had my blackberry back in the day yeah and people were like the times will never end and this is you know and then the second half of the summer it was the liquidity crunch the credit crunch Mm -hmm. all of a sudden every single deal just died and you're working all these all, all these interesting things but everything kind of died but uh it was a blessing in disguise because i was able to get an internship uh, in order to leverage that to do full, my, a full-time role. Um, because let's say I was a couple years later, and that was 2008, 2009, it would have been so much more difficult to get a full-time role. Yeah. Um, you know, so thankfully enough, you know, I, I did well, I was a, whatever, a, a, a top analyst in the summer analyst class.
0: Summer 07. And
1: I was, yeah, summer of 07. Was yeah. able to leverage that to the top group in New York. Um, and that was key for me because TMT Chicago, I mean, great, right? But you know, starting out your career, you know, you, you want to do as much as you as much as you can to get to New York. Yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> it was an interesting conversation. You know, the TMT group really wanted me to stay in, you know, the group and also Chicago, but you know, I had my sights set on you know getting out to New York and. Was able to you know kind of finagle my way.
0: That's a tough uh, thing. To how to did group. you first off? How did you become a top-ranked analyst? Were you just sleeping at the desk the whole summer, like on those at least the first half of the summer, like just doing whatever it took? What do you think? Why why were you considered one of the best versus the other interns?
1: Yeah, I think I was just uh, faster to pick up some of the modeling aspects of the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just a higher attention to detail to some of the, you know, the stupid formatting stuff, like it, yeah. it sounds dumb, you know, but, you know, having everything look correct and buttoned up just gives a connotation that everything is right. Mm-hmm. You know, So for better or worse, like if you're a good formatter or you can, you're fast on the model, um,
0: yeah. it just it builds confidence. You
1: know, pres- it builds confidence. It yeah. presents well. You know, um, I don't think I was that much smarter or anything like that, or I knew finance better. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think I was just lucky enough to have the right experiences and the right people above me to kind of vouch for hey, we should give this hit this give give this analyst, you know, this summer analyst a little bit more responsibility and see what he can do with
0: it. Oh, that's cool. That's great. So you basically um got the full time offer, clearly, near the end of the summer. They pay you pretty well as intern, right? Did you get overtime then or no?
1: That is that's exactly yeah, right? correct. That was that summer. Um, they gave us crazy overtime. I heard of, I remember this. They get yeah, they they uh we got paid by hour. It was it was crazy. And you made like 50
0: um, grand in the summer or something like that. <laughs> I think I made something, something along those
1: lines, like yeah, where yeah, I made maybe 30 grand my freshman year in painting, but this is more than that, and I was like you know, I'm I'm tracking every single hour that I'm doing every because, you know, it, it's crazy to me because you're working maybe 60, 80 plus hours and they're, they're paying you per hour. Yeah. Which is wild to me.
0: Yeah, that's nuts. So, okay. So you get the full-time offer. Is it an immediate? Yes, I accept. Or are you thinking at this point, hey, you know what? You know, I was able to get to New York or I guess I was able to finagle like, or did you just say, hey, if you give me the New York offer, I'm in, like, I'm going to take it. Um, was that kind of your your... Bargaining chips that you I, put in there, or how did you do it?
1: Yeah. Um, I tried to leverage uh, that offer to get to other banks. Mm-hmm. At that point, though, it was a little bit more difficult to get full-time roles. Things were cracking. Um, things were starting to, you know, kind of crack where it, it wasn't like people, you know, rescinded offers or anything like that, but you could definitely tell um because illinois is a non-target school we place a certain number of kids each year yeah. you start to get a sense of okay maybe it's only a couple into new york or a couple into chicago yeah um i think there was only five illinois kids that made it to new york that year and then yeah. next year 2008 2009 they zero right so yeah. yeah you can get a
0: sense of things were starting to shift a bit so you just said okay i'm going to take it you accepted um, tell me about your senior year, kind of how you saw, or I guess not your senior year, it was kind of your last semester, how you started seeing things unfold.
1: Yeah. So, so my and last you're, semester. You're trying to finish really...
0: up your classes and the whole world's falling apart.
1: <laughs> oh well, no.
0: I guess right? no, yeah after. Oh no, it's sorry, seven. After. Okay. So you're still, but it was still kind of like did you get nervous at all? Like in that I guess it was fall. It was fall of seven, so not yet
1: so not yet. Um it was Q4 of 2008 when re- things really started to hit the yeah. fan and you were I was at my job for probably 3 or 4 months at that point.
0: But what did you do for um, the months that you're off, say between cause you finished in the winter, right? So what did yeah. you do, travel? So I, I didn't travel. I
1: actually stayed on campus, um mm. hung out with friends and just enjoyed, you know, the six months. I got I got paid you know, per hour, you know, by B of A. Um, so I had a a great last semester, you know, whether it be just, you know, do lifting or just staying, you know, working on every day or doing a variety of different things. Um, it was a great semester.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So you start full time. It's I'm sure kind of a lot of work. Was it a lot harder than the internship, or did you feel like you were you were ready? You kind of obviously you were really busy at the beginning of the internship, like you said. So was it similar to that, or was it worse?
1: It was. Uh, you could tell that things had notched up a level. Like yeah. you're in New York, you're kind of at a top group where the deal flow. We're in the healthcare. Group. What was it?
0: Oh, healthcare. Okay. Yeah.
1: Healthcare at B of A.
0: Yeah.
1: And there was constantly deals going on. Yeah. Um, you know, whether we, we had very, yeah, we, we had great bankers, you know, so, um, and then you're kind of thrown into a larger analyst class where there's only a couple of people at B of A Chicago, yeah. you know, now you have an analyst class, like 10 plus, and you're all just trying to feel each other out. You're all in the same bullpen. You all enjoy each other. But at the same time, you're kind of like, this is my competition. Um, you know, and then, yeah, within Like I I think the first couple of months, you're just super green. You're super green. You want to digest as much as possible. You're living this banker lifestyle. And then yeah, six months, you know, kind of in, Bear Stearns is gone. Well, uh, Lehman, Lehman Brothers is now bankrupt. You know, I was at B of A and we had just acquired, and then we eventually acquired Merrill Lynch. Mm -hmm. You know, so all these things that you read in the newspapers, it was like actually happened live. And we were investing bankers and Um, you know, you don't realize you're working on these big deals, but it has like real consequences to people, right? You you kind of forget to realize that where we had acquired Merrill Lynch and then both organizations were kind of merging together different cultures, you know, you had different core competencies. You were all kind of, you know, navigating each other. There was definitely layoffs, um, you know, so it, it was just a really weird time and, and you just want to have also have a job right um <laughs> a, a, a little bit of a tangent you know so i played a ton of poker while i was in college mm-hmm. and you know i very briefly thought hey i'm gonna quit this investment banking thing i'm gonna be a professional poker player uh <laughs> so uh you know, good thing I, it, it didn't turn out that way um but you know, I played in a, a handful of you know kind of the World Series of Poker events, and you know that was going to be this hot shot. But you know, it, better you know better he- heads prevailed, and you know I decided to stick with finance.
0: So, how close did you get to quitting and doing that? Pretty close. You know, yeah, uh, I, I think within the first. You, played a, you year, played a lot in college too.
1: I played a lot in college. You know, uh, I played in the me and my twin. We both played in the main event were twenty one. Nice. And we were, uh, we thought, Hey, we're going to be the youngest main event winners. How did you um, do? Ever.
0: How did you do? Oh,
1: I I was terrible. Terrible, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So I got knocked out the first day, but I, I, I had a, a a pro, uh, a bracelet winner at my table. And I was like this 21 year old, you know, hotshot that thinks, Hey, I'm just going to run him over. And he was literally playing poker without even looking at the cards. He was destroying people. And um, yeah, I, I didn't last very long and that was a, a, like a very quick, um, you know, humble, a humble pie for me. But, um, you know, and I think that was part of the reason why I'm too. I was like, yeah, you know, you're probably not as good at poker as you
0: think you are. So that's funny. Well, I was a, I was a co-president of the poker club at Wharton. So I, I know I played a lot in my day, so we could, we could talk a lot about it. I'm sure. Um, I don't know if you want to turn this into the, the, the poker episode, Maybe <laughs> okay. but, um, so yeah, tell me about like, the transition from, you know, banking to mega fund PE. And when you, it, it sounds like at B of A, you actually, even in the crisis years, you still got a bonus, like you still got paid. Well, is it because you, they separated that out for people actually doing big deals still, or cause you're, cause healthcare was still kind of going on. Is that how it worked out? Or was it like more, the whole pool got something because I think we talked offline before, like you were still getting what 70% of your base. As a bonus? Or
1: yeah, seventy yeah, percent of my base. I, yeah, I,
0: which I mean, in '09, 09... granted, I think bank.
2: It's pretty
1: good. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I think bankers are getting paid a lot more, you know, potentially these days. But I think it was in the range, probably of one fifty all in. You know, somewhere in that range. I think in top bucket analysts got, you know, maybe fifty to fifty five, sixty. Yeah. Um, you know, for a bonus. But yeah, I, I think it was part of the partly of the group we were still doing deals uh, mm-hmm. even during, you know, that first couple of years. Um, and I was lucky enough to work on one of the, the largest, you know, healthcare deals that year, you know, so, um, but yeah, kind of going out, coming out of banking, we, it wasn't like recruiting now. And thankfully it wasn't because I, I was a non-target school. Yeah, I, you know, had great GPA, kind of a decent resume, yada, yada, yada. But, it was a lot easier to recruit given that I had a full year under my belt and I could say, Hey, I'm the top bucket analyst. This, I did this deal. I'm, this is my bonus, you know, versus now you're recruiting within a couple of months and it's just really hard to know who is good versus not granted, you know, now, There's so much information available. These kids are so much better prepared. I can tell you a
0: lot of people for private equity. A lot of people purchase a private equity interview course. So I know people are prepared because they're drilling, you know? Uh, So, (laughs) like, we see the usage. They're in the, they're doing the paper LBOs, they're doing the full blown LBO modeling test, the cases, they know, like, It's not like when I was recruiting for private equity, it was like my buddy, was like, you should go to private equity. I'm like, what's private equity? He's like, here, read this deck on LBOs. (laughs) You know, like it was literally like that and I ended up getting a job. Um, So this was even before your time, but uh, I'm sure by the time you came around, I was leaving a little bit better and now it's just everywhere. Um, Now everyone has to be ready and they have to be ready earlier, right? So yes, I think this year, They're going to get out of training and be hit up, right? Like they're not even going to, they might even get out of training. They might be like, hey, during training on this weekend, you have to come do these interviews (laughs) because the cocktail hours getting set up.
1: It's unbelievable. And I I think it's extremely tough too, especially if you're not from a non target, if you're from a a non target school. Oh, yeah. It's it's obviously easier if you have a pedigree school, great GPA, you're at the top of your class. And yeah, every single candidate these days, you know, I, I talked to a number of alumni and they're already asking me before they start their banking internship, if they should do private equity or hedge funds. <laughs> so, it's, you know, I, I don't um, I don't envy how competitive it is these days. And you know, thankfully, you know, I kind of um, slipped through the cracks.
0: No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so let, tell me a little bit about just that whole process. So it was, it was easier. You had a full year under your belt. You had the, you had the deal, a the couple big deals on your resume. Um, so that was easier. But were you talking to like the traditional recruiters out there, the SGs of the world, the CPIs, the uh, whatnot, and just getting into a couple of processes? And then tell me about, was it on cycle? I assume it's on cycle. What on cycle was back then? Tell me a little bit about that process. I think people like to hear those war stories.
1: Yes. So it was on cycle was actually the summer after your first year. You know, so you right. had a full year under your under your belt. Yeah. Uh, traditional uh recruiters, you know, the SG CPIs of the world, you're meeting yep. them probably Q4 of that first year, Q1. And at that point, also you, you know, you just don't know what the world's gonna look like, <laughs> to be honest. You're you're just thankful you, you didn't get laid off. Yeah. Um, and also the recruiters, you know, to be honest too, they didn't know what private equity firms were hiring or or weren't hiring. But, you know, part of their job is also just to talk to everybody, you know? So, you know, I, you know, for, uh, I'm sure everyone knows this, but, you know, take those recruiting recruiter interviews very seriously. You know, they are the first, um, you know, kind of gatekeepers, you know, they've seen a thousand kids across the entire analyst class. You know, so you have to figure out a way to separate yourself or build rapport or you know, point to a certain experience or whatever it may be, um, you know, to you know, kind of separate yourself from everybody else. How how did you do that? Yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's partly, you know, maybe... Just kept um, pointing to the big deals? Know, <laughs> it, the big deals, yeah, you know, top analysts. you know, poker, you know, twin, you <laughs> know, uh, college works, painting, uh, just a variety of different experiences, you know, but I, I think I always try to you know, demonstrate that, you know, one, I was a hard worker, but also I've given an opportunity that I would, you know, prove out, you know, um, my capabilities. Um, But went through the typical on cycle process, you know, didn't necessarily have a ton of interviews with mega funds, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, but interview with a ton of um, Chicago private equity firms, because I'm from Chicago and middle market private equity firms, a couple of large caps, you know, but uh, yeah, I think, Ultimately, it came down to a reference, you know, from I think an associate or VP um, that knew the guys at Premiera very well, um, and Premiera was just starting to kind of build out their U.S. practice. You know, it's a it's a large cap, you know, global fund, uh, but at that point, I was recruiting for to be the only pre MBA associate in the New York office. Oh, wow. You know, so there's two co heads, one in New York and one in London. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like the perfect role. Uh, just you know, truly blessed. I think I interviewed, I literally counted the number of interviews. I interviewed at 22 firms, oh, and wow. this was the 22nd firm.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, wait, what was happening with the 20, 21st other ones? Were you getting offers or just you, didn't, you never got an offer?
1: I think I got one offer that I turned down, but the rest of them,
0: yeah, for
1: a variety of different reasons. It, it just never kind of worked out. You weren't ready so, on
0: paper LBO? What was going on? You no, know like, what? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever make the final rounds? And like, yeah, tell me a little bit more about that because that's surprising from a guy who has, you know, yeah, and then on target, but you had the strong resume at that point and you speak well. So like what was going on um, in terms of that? Do you like looking back or is there something you're like, oh, I should have done that to prep better?
1: Yeah, I, I think looking back, I should probably have taken interviews more seriously Mm -hmm. um i took the gtcr mass dearborn interviews extremely serious because i i always thought hey after two years i'm going back to chicago um you know but and then all of a sudden like you're doing like 10 interviews and within a couple of weeks that it's very easy to even though kind of they're less brand name type firms they're still extremely interesting opportunities that you wouldn't think of yeah um and I probably just didn't take them serious enough. Where I was like,
0: "Hey, I'm gonna get one of these." You know, one I, of them I will drop. I and mean, none of them drop? <laughs>
1: get enough pedigree. And then, Did you like, feel like you know,
0: had like that that very typical like 24 year old or 23 year old mentality? Where you're like, "I got this." Like you're you the hotshot poker. Like you know, you're you're coming from a non target You get the chip in your shoulder. Like yeah, but look at me. I'm top ranked. Do you think you had a little bit of that? Came across maybe as a 24 year old. Yeah. No. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you get served up humble pie pretty quick. Yeah. Where I thought, Hey, they should know that I'm a top bucket analyst. You know, I've done, you know, these experiences, you can check all my references, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but culture does matter. And, you know, I, I think people really do, they can tell if you're, if you're doing the homework or, or you're just going through the motions and, you know, whether it be, a lower middle market or middle market or or large cap private equity firm. These are all extremely successful individuals that all have their interesting stories that you can tap into and you can learn from. And yeah, I probably didn't take it serious enough. And then you're doing so many interviews so quickly that you kind of get past like, Oh shoot, it's gone. Uh, I've I've... gone through 15 of these. Like what is going on? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, but yeah, extremely fortunate and blessed that you know, Premiere was like the perfect role for me. That's awesome. Um, for, from a culture standpoint, you know, being only pre MBA associate in the New York office and, was that lonely you know, since, though.
0: Was that lonely, or did you have like a you know a post MBA right there, a couple of them above you to help?
1: Yeah, you had you had post MBA associates, and they're just starting to kind of build out that practice. Yeah, um, and then you know, joined on, and it, it was like. Drinking from a fire hose, uh, I did more i i, I did more niners in private equity than I did in, um, really? than I did in banking Wow, and
0: because so many deals like you're trying to get so many deals done in that time frame, or
1: yeah, so th- this is now two thousand ten. you yeah. just starting to get out of the financial crisis, and now deal flow was like pedal to the metal, yeah, and you know you're a journalist in the New York office. You know, so I worked on a a tech deal, educational technology deal. I worked on a um, a logistics company, especially rental company. So very different business models, very different sectors. And yeah, you know, very quickly they they had to hire a couple of pre MBA associates because I was just drowning. Um, But it was a very working with extremely bright people. Mm -hmm. And I I think what was unique about Premiere too is that you really. Understood, like the global aspect of the business, because you were constantly on conference calls with your different offices, whether it be in Asia, whether it be in London, mm-hmm. um, you know, Germany. um We had offsites every six months, you know, so that was a ton of fun. Where it's kind of work hard, play hard a bit. Yeah. um You know. You know. But yeah.
0: So and then how was I, the, I how was the pay? Days, was it a? It was a, a big pay raise, uh, obviously, but. Can you give a range for the listeners so they know how much it jumped?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm not sure what associates are getting paid these days, but yeah, I a think lot, it was a lot, uh, <laughs> a lot, yeah. but it, it was almost double what I had paid um, Your back at banking.
0: Yeah. yeah. So we're talking like 300-ish plus 350? A little a little less than 300. A little less than 300, yes, which is pretty good for, for PE, but you were working hard for it.
1: I was definitely working hard for it. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, and I then so, so you're kind of yeah. you're approaching. You know, let's say you're two years in as a pre MBA associate. Are they giving you signals like, hey, you need to go get an MBA? Are they giving you signals like, what's your thought process? Do they want to keep you on? Why not stay on and get a direct promote? I know those were less common back then. So, yeah, just tell the listeners what was your thought process as you're like going into year two, year three there.
1: Yeah, so, so at Premiera, in the New York office, everybody had gone to business school. Yeah. Everyone was a post-NBA associate, had, and I think the vast majority of them went to Harvard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it was pretty, uh, I would say set in stone, but it, it was generally, if you want to come back, um, you would have to go to business school and you know come back the traditional route. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know, Premiere has grown significantly over the last you know, 10 to 15 years. I don't think that's necessarily the case today. Yeah. Um, and, and to be frank, you know, I, after, I think I stayed two and a half years at, uh, at Primera, I was just burnt out. I was toast, you know, now, you know, kind of four to five years to my career, i made a decent, yeah, a, a decent money. And I was just extremely burnt out. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what, kind of what deal flow it was, you know, I saw a ton and also, you know, I, I think I was. Yeah, I I knew I needed to do kind of do something else. You know, so I didn't even explore the route of going to B school too much. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I already knew, you know, I was going to do something else, uh, whether it be more on the public side of things or or something kind of completely different.
0: Uh, so you were, you were interviewing hedge funds and stuff like that at that point. I
1: was in, interviewing hedge funds. I don't think I interviewed any private equity firms. You know, I think it was either hedge funds. I think it was primar- primarily hedge funds, you know, yeah. to be honest. Long,
0: um, like traditional longshore or were you thinking of doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, traditional long shorts, you know, I was also looking at a lot of these platforms, you know, the Citadels, mm-hmm. uh, Millenniums, 0. .72s of the world, um, and I was just trying to explore kind of what was out there, you know, mm-hmm. getting as much information as possible. But I think whether you're in private equity or whether you're at hedge funds, you know, there's pros and cons to each of those types of roles, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think private equity you probably have a little bit more stability. You know, the transaction environment is very different. It also really depends on you know the, the investment framework of the firm, like investment committees. You know, what is that process like? You know, that could vary substantially uh depending on what type of firm you're at. Yeah. Versus, you know, maybe at a hedge fund, um, it's more structured of a kind of work life balance. So you're always kind of working, but you know, if the markets aren't open the markets aren't open um but also the volatility of your career can obviously change very quickly as well you know there's very highs there's very lows you know for a number of different reasons you know yeah I, I we could probably get to it later, i'd agree
0: but, I'd agree with that yeah I think yeah. most people would agree with that so so <laughs> yeah. so you're interviewing at all these hedge funds kind of two years in any offers from any of these or no
1: I was um, I was about to join Citadel um, and you know got to the last you know interview and for whatever reason it didn't work out maybe a personality test I didn't check the box and you know some <laughs> some aspect of my personality um, but at the same time I was I spoke I had spoken to a friend of mine uh, who was in banking we were in the same class uh, joined a hedge fund. Uh, one of the few sh- you know hedge funds uh, that was in the big short. Uh, they shorted a bunch of banks and kind of held on to that short way too long. Um, and they were exploring a startup, and you know, kind of pitched me on the idea. You know, I've always been you know kind of contrarian entrepreneur at heart. You know, I was like, hey, I kind of enough in the bank. Maybe why don't I just give this a shot and kind of see where this goes. Mm-hmm. And me and you know two of the founders, you know, both of them were at the hedge fund. Uh, we ended up, yeah, starting a company, and at it we we're at an incubator, completely different um, shift in lifestyle. Um, absolutely, building something from zero to one. Mm-hmm. You know, we had started off building out financial content for high finance interviews you know, similar to kind of, you know, what Wall Street Oasis does, you know, content along those lines, we had pivoted a number of different times, and we ended up um, choosing a recruiting platform for a high turnover positions. And, you know, it was, I, I think initially, I didn't know if this was the right um, role to choose kind of next, you know, but at the same time, I also thought of it as this is probably my b school as uh, my B school, I can do it with a couple of buddies, you know, not necessarily get the brand name of a Harvard or Wharton or a Stanford, um, but I can learn, you know, learn the ropes as an operator and, you know, see the business. Um, And it was, it was fun. You know, it was fun, you know, building something completely from scratch, you know, having the autonomy, the ownership responsibility. um, And we were just kind of hacking things, you know, just hacking things along for a couple of years. And, you know, seeing some traction and, um, and yeah, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. you know, but I, I probably should have stayed a couple more years until they exited for, you know, nine figures, but, you know, that's probably another story as well. So
0: was it when you, yeah, it's, a, as you're kind of, it's growing as it's kind of uh, getting up, you, there's probably some funding in between the acquisition. And then was it something where like, you felt like there wasn't enough traction kind of started? It wasn't going fast, accelerating fast enough. You felt like the odds of it, t- like surviving, were just lower than, you know, than what you wanted to see at that point. Or you know, e- or was it more like, hey, it's been three years, I need to do something new. Even though I assume yeah, so, you're doing everything because if you're one of the first employees, you're like you, are, you end up doing everything.
1: Yeah. So I was one of the first employees, and you know, kind of three years in, I was now a quasi CFO, CEO, whatever that is. Basically, everyone's doing everything. Yeah. So you have this. Uh, kind of title, but we're now at I think twenty to thirty people, mm-hmm. and we were just about to raise you know our Series A, and we were kind of in the midst of it. And I was at kind of another point where I was if we're going to raise this Series A, I'm probably going to be committed to Vettery for another you know three to six you know five plus years, and and, and is this something you know that I feel passionate about, and you know, and it, you know, to be fair, it wasn't my baby. You know, even though I was a first employee, I'm not a founder, you know, yeah. right? So I didn't necessarily have the pressures of being a founder and raising real capital from your family and friends and having that kind of pressure. And, you know, getting close, you know, to maybe it being a zero, maybe maybe it being a donut. You know, So yeah. I had a new appreciation once I actually started my own fund. Um, but it wasn't my baby. And, you know, we probably had differences
2: mm-hmm.
1: in whether it be strategy or a variety of different things and envision it. And at that point, there are probably too many cooks in the kitchen as it is.
0: Yeah. You know, Our so personality at to the top and there's three, <laughs> there's three, three or four of you guys like with the executives, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see that being tough. Yeah. So you guys, so it was kind of like, Hey, it's time it's run its course for me.
1: It's time. It's run its course. I'm not going to be married to the business for another five years.
0: Yeah. Um. And which is super common, by the way. Like it's so rare for like the founding group to stick together more than like as long as the three years. You know, three, five, three to five years tends to be what it. I feel like ends up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This is better for
1: me. hindsight's always twenty twenty. But uh, they sold for a, a big number, and they also spun you know that experience into starting an EV toll business. Which got de would for billions of dollars. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> what? Uh, always <What>? oh. 2020. You know, I, I've, you know, uh, look at that journey and, you know, I still don't regret it because, yes, um, I would be probably worth a lot more on paper if I kind of stuck around. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I've learned a ton, you know, and you know, you amazing. embrace the journey. It, it, you know, your, your lifestyle is always in a in a straight line.
0: So before you got to go, talk to me a little bit about the the volatility hedge fund that you you created or, or founded. Um, and then uh, Parallaxes as well. I know we only have about 10 minutes, so I, w- I want to make sure we hit those two. So real quick, so you're like, hey, I'm not going to do this startup anymore. So I'm going to start a hedge fund. Like, how did you go with that? Like, not many people are like, hey, I'm just going to start a hedge fund. So how did you get any sort of seed capital for that? Friends and family, like, how did you do it?
1: Yeah. So funny. Funny thing enough. Um, back when I was in private equity, I had barely any time to invest. i uh, well, I was always an investor. Mm-hmm. But I, I knew that I had no, um, no ability to pick fundamental stocks, given that you know guys on you know the public market side were spending days and days on one stock, doing channel checks, speaking to management. So I would never have an edge there. Um, but I always had a kind of a knack for just data and data analytics and using you know uh, these days it's called kind of quantum mental um, yeah. but finding patterns through numbers mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like a, a random uh hobby or interest you know but i started trading in volatility mm-hmm. uh, and volatility you know, kind of blew up during those days and i don't know if you you know some of these volatility etfs and etns like xid or uvxy and all these um long story short uh a hobby became kind of a passion and then a passion became a business, you know, because a number of my friends kind of reached out to me and knew I'd kind of do this on the side. It's like, Hey, this is like really interesting. Um, I need something to diversify my exposure. You know, I would seed you money you know, to kind of start this strategy. Um, so I started the strategy, you know, if I were to kind of do it again, I would definitely do it with a co-founder. Uh, given that a hedge fund it, it's just a rat race. you're constantly raising capital there's you have know, investor gates, you have know, month to month marks um, so uh, a large part of my job was actually spending most of my time not doing investment work and doing non-investment work, which was you know kind of a struggle um so and also you know, to be honest, it never got to scale where it, it really mattered um you if in order to take a large anchor. You had to give up a number of economics and kind of an arm and a leg, and there was definitely first loss capital and some other ideas. But you know, I once again, kind of a couple of years in, you know, didn't see it as a long term business. You know, I thought just the active hedge fund yeah. business was basically all kind of gathering at a, lot, a lot of these large platforms that had the infrastructure resources to kind of out compete maybe an emerging manager and. Um, you know, uh, to use a tech term, I didn't have product market fit. It was an interesting strategy, you know, but institutional investors that understood it couldn't invest, you know, because it's a capacity constrained strategy. And maybe retail yeah. or family offices, they didn't understand it, but you know, they could write some of the interesting checks.
0: Um, so what's the most you so were managing at that time? Like we're we talking like five million, twenty million, like what what were you doing at that one point?
1: Yeah, less less than twenty million. Less okay. than twenty million, somewhere in that range. But yeah, okay. A, a couple of years in, I, uh, a couple of years in, uh, me and uh, one of my buddies who went to who I went to school with was also starting a fund. Yeah, you know, so we were always kind of bouncing ideas with each other. Yeah, of how to raise capital. You know how to do all these different things, and he was raising a long-term capital strategy, building out this very kind of nichey strategy. I was like, Hey, it sounds interesting. You know, didn't think much of it. Um, but a couple of years in, he was, hit, he was starting to get, starting to get real traction, you know, raising money. Um, and I saw kind of writing on the wall, of, you know, just a public markets fund versus long-term capital building on a market where you have structural advantages. I was like, Hey, you know, maybe I should pitch, you know, um, my horse is somebody else, you know? So I ended up joining him at Parallaxis Capital. And yeah, you know, basically we're building on a market for a very esoteric um, area. Um, we're, we're kind of purchasing, you know, long dated receivables from private equity sponsors uh, that may be forced or motivated to sell once they get to the end of their fun lives. You know, so we had found kind of this interesting niche um, of tax receivables that we want to build a market for, and you know now, kind of four or five years in, you know, we're
0: you're saying receivables from the from the portfolio companies of these funds, yeah. So you're fronting them, you're fronting them capital to purchase these receivables at obviously a discount, um, so to, to give them some liquidity.
1: Yes, you know, so the private equity fund, let's say Blackstone, yeah, uh, they acquire a company. Mm-hmm. You know, they obviously value creation, take the company public over a couple of years and maybe four or five years, and two to three years later, now they've sold out the equity. Uh, but based off of unique kind of tax structuring, mm-hmm. they've created this long data receivable uh, for a private equity sponsor found money. You know, but now let's say you have sold out all of the equity. Now you have this small non-core position that still has another 10 to 15 years of life. Mm. And then you kind of have to figure out what do I do with this asset? You know, Do I do a continuation fund and LPs or, please do not send me K1s for this 2008 vintage on this small asset that we don't care about. Yeah. You know, please wind it down. You know, and that's kind of where we come into play where we'll purchase these assets based off of the net present value. And sometimes it you know, ranges, um, but a ten cents, forty cents, fifty cents of the dollar, mm-hmm. and we hold them to maturity. So there's a duration mismatch where we're able to yep. have a different perspective based off of our. Um,
0: long and you term set up deal. processes in order to be able to do all the K ones and all that stuff. <laughs> all that stuff, yeah. Well,
1: have no, do well <laughs> we don't have to do it at all because now uh, XYZ private equity firm just winds down the fund. We Got purchase it. it from them. You it. know, now it's a part of our funds,
0: yeah. um, but we have. But you don't have structures L- of vehicles. You, um, you you have LPS or no? Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, so typical kind of private equity type vehicles. We have four vehicles that raised two hundred fifty million. We're actually in the process of raising our fifth vehicle, um, and yeah, you know things have slowly gone easier. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's. Yeah, you know, back at Vettery, yeah, you know, taking something from zero to one. Yes, you know, here at Parallaxis, also taking something from zero to one, where zero to one was extremely tough. Like, are you like, how can you even do a deal? Yeah. And now, you know, taking one to five, it's been slowly, slowly
0: getting easier. Yeah, yeah tell me, how is how do you see this alongside the, the boom in secondaries? Um, and you're providing liquidity. Do you see yourself as almost like another option? Um. It, Tell me about that. Tell me about how that the interplay there.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's another area of the market. You know, yeah. I think secondary private equity firms.
0: It's um, just kind of, you're kind of providing the same service, right, in a way. Um, but just yep. maybe on a small, you're helping clean up the stuff for the private equity fund versus like larger offloading. Could we, should I think of it that way? Like private equity secondaries are like larger offloading of of larger positions versus you guys are more cleaning up like the the receive the smaller receivable bits.
1: Well, you do have, you have, you do have both, right? Yeah. So you have like GP leds where you do need to close down one vehicle and start another vehicle. And I would say the vast majority of private equity secondaries, you're buying from a pension fund or, you know, a large endowment that needs to rejigger their allocation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I need to sell XYZ mega fund and all three of these funds because I need to get my allocation down to X. Yeah, so it, it's a different exercise, but the concept is largely the same. You know, you are you you can purchase um, assets from Motivate Seller at kind of like a discount, and you know, you know, I, I would say our assets are just very niche because it's just these tax receivables.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, the concept is is largely the same.
0: That's super interesting. Super interesting. So, uh, is the do you feel like a parallel is You know, you guys are raising a larger fund. Do you feel like it is scalable? Uh, Where like there's enough out there um, that you could put to get put to work a billion dollars if you if you had it, yeah,
1: uh, maybe not today, you know, but I think definitely for sure, Uh, we're on a pace where we can deploy at least 100 million a year, and we've at this point kind of transacted with some of the largest sponsors out there, Mm -hmm. Um, so it's now just increased adoption, um, but also like an increased adjustable market, similar to. Secondaries. Once more and more allocators invest in private equity firms, there's going to be more and more of these allocations, and more more people looking to sell. Yeah. So you know, we think we, yeah, I think we have an interesting position in the market. We're a first mover, and you know, I think there's going to be advantages to being the first to scale. Um, so that's super scale. exciting,
0: man! Congrats on the success. No,
1: no, no, I appreciate it. It's been a, a journey. Um, I think my parents would have preferred me just be a doctor or, you know, me go to Harvard Business School and keep it safe, you know, but um, yeah, you know, my journey has been kind of non-traditional at the same time, you know, it's been enjoyable. Yeah, you know, I think I've learned a lot from each aspect of the business or each aspect of my journey. And it's been a, it's been a ton of fun.
0: Any final thoughts, uh, looking back, kind of any advice you'd give to to people listening? Based on your journey,
1: yeah, I wouldn't say based off of my journey, but you know, I, I think you know, given the, the current market environment, you know, it's obviously not as easy as it was over the last ten years. Um, I, I think just take comfort that there's always going to be new opportunities. Always going to be new opportunities. Um, you know, whether it be you know, AI or whether it be you know, it, it's so much easier to create a business or you know. Create content, leverage—you know—leverage you know, leverage so many different things that um, you, even though the job market might be a little bit tougher, you know, just don't feel like you need to follow one specific path. Um, there'll be plenty of opportunities, and you know, the great thing about this market—it's always, you know, always ad- uh, adapting and always
0: changing. So, love it, Alex. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us, Patrick. Appreciate it. Um, awesome. always, always enjoyed Wall Street Oasis appreciate that talk soon and thanks to you my listeners at wall street oasis if you have any suggestions whatsoever please don't hesitate to send them my way patrick at wallstreetoasis.com until next time